Hey, I'm super excited to be sharing with you today from God's Word. We are in the middle of a series called Marked by Jesus, where we're walking through the book of Mark, verse by verse. Uh, this is something we do as a church, man. We go through books of the Bible, and it's going to take us two years to walk through this book of Mark. We're already uh, five weeks in, and it's been amazing, amazing time for our church. But today we're coming to a passage that uh, I think often we kind of breeze over. And uh, I want to talk to you about a topic that I think we have avoided in the church uh, often, at least for the last few years. And uh, I know even I have at times. And so as we jump in here, I wanted to want you to go to Mark chapter 1. I'm going to be reading verse 21 through 28. But I, I want to talk to you about demons and, and Satan. And the fact is that the Bible tells us that demons are real. I know that a lot of us associate demons, the devil, with Halloween, and we think it's cute because we got kids in red horns and pitchforks and kids running around with sheets over them, um, all black costumes, black faces. But the reality is that the Bible tells us multiple times just how real uh, the spiritual battle is that's going on around us. That there really is a spiritual battle, that we don't battle against flesh and blood, but we battle against principalities, powers, of darkness in this world. And so over and over in Scripture we see, man, demons are real. Satan is real. And they're at work in this world. Contrary to what a lot of people might think, they are moving, uh, influencing, impacting people, uh, prominent people in our world. And uh, just to give you a little background as to demons and, and Satan, it all started, we see in Genesis with the fall, and uh, not the fall of Adam and Eve, but really the fall of Satan. We actually see where Lucifer, who was the music director in heaven, um, he leads a rebellion against God, essentially because of pride and rebellion, thinking that he was as good as God or equal with God. He leads this rebellion, and thousands of angels uh, follow him. And God casts them out and casts them into darkness, and so this is the beginning of the rebellion that we see, that Satan and these fallen angels, or Lucifer, who we now refer to as Satan, these fallen angels are cast out of heaven, and now um, they roam this world, and they influence people in this world. And this is where demons come from. This is the origin of demons, the origin of Satan. Uh, in, in Scripture, we see uh, over and over just the influence that Satan, his demons are having in this world. And so if you look at John 8, 44, it says, For you are the children of your father, the devil, and you love to do the evil things he does. He was a murderer from the beginning. He has always hated the truth because there is no truth in him. When he lies, it is consistent with his character, for he is a liar and the father of lies. So we see right here, look, People, humanity, a lot of the, the horrible things that are happening in this world are the result of Satan, his demons, influencing human beings. In 1 John 5, 19, it says, We know that we are children of God and that the world around us is under the control of the evil one. So what does that say to us? Well, it tells us very clearly that the evil one, Satan, his demons, man, they are controlling a lot of what is happening. I know right now, maybe you feel like, man, this is already being painted in kind of a dark lie. Like, are you trying to freak us out here, Caleb? Listen, this is the reality. 
that Satan and his demons are influencing, controlling a lot of what we see in our culture. And sometimes we wonder, like, man, why is there so much darkness? Why is there so much evil? Why does it feel like humanity is so destructive? Let me tell you why. Because the father of lies, the evil one, the destroyer, is out there and he's influencing the minds of people. We go on, we see in, uh, in, in the New Testament as well, Ephesians 2, 1 through 2, it says, Once you were dead because of your disobedience and your many sins, you used to live in sin just like the rest of the world, obeying the devil, the commander of the powers in the unseen world. He is the spirit at work in the hearts of those who refuse to obey God. So I want you to understand that while a lot of people in this world that don't know God may not feel like they're being influenced by the enemy, they may not feel like they're being influenced by Satan, they may not feel like they're being influenced by, you know, demons, the reality is that Scripture tells us that they're in disobedience, people are living the way they're living, and it is in direct influence from Satan himself, from uh, the evil one and his spirit that is at work in this world. And so those that are far from God, they don't even realize it, but that they're being influenced, and they're being influenced in a negative way. And then finally, in 2 Corinthians 4, 4, we see it says, not just their stubbornness, but rebellion. Or sorry, let me read that again. They are unable to see the glorious light of the good news. They don't understand this message about the glory of Christ, who is the exact likeness of God. So here's what I would say. I think that there are people who would say, like, I'm agnostic, or, or I'm an atheist. I don't believe in God. I can't accept that there's a God, uh, that there's a God that, that loves me, that there's a God in heaven. And I'll tell you right now, it's not just their stubbornness or their, their you know, logical thinking, their mentality. It's not just those things that is energized uh, by the enemy, but, but they in, the, in and of themselves, their thought process, their thinking is being influenced and energized by demonic activity. And I know right now I'm painting and talking about a topic that we often uh, avoid in the church, and, and we don't really see that, that there's a lot of truth to this, but I think the New Testament shows us over and over. We see verse after verse where God is saying, and he's speaking, and he's speaking through uh, you know, through these, these disciples who wrote much of the New Testament, these apostles, and he's saying, look, the enemy is influencing people's rebellion. He's influencing people's opposition to, to the truth. He's influencing a lot of the darkness and the destructiveness and the pain that we see in this world. He is the one that's influencing their thinking, influencing their actions, influencing their thought processes, influencing a lot of what's happening around us. And I think too many of us are blind to it. So here's what I want to say. I think we err too much in the church by not giving the, not addressing the reality that Satan and his demons are real. We err too much in the church by, by avoiding it and be like, oh yeah, that, that was, maybe that happened in the New Testament, or maybe we see that in the Old Testament, but today, nah, that doesn't really happen. Satan isn't really moving. The demons aren't really doing things. We err by not acknowledging that Satan and his demons are active in this world. But we also err in the church by giving Satan and his demons too much power. Because the reality is, we have the power that overcomes all powers of this world. And that power is the power of Jesus within us. And so I think in the church, we maybe err one way or the other. We give Satan and his demons too much credit, or we don't give them any credit. 
And what I want to do and what we want to do today is we want to acknowledge that, look, Satan, his demons are real. Um, they're active and influencing people in this world. But they are nothing in comparison to the power of our God. Come on, somebody. Nothing in comparison to the authority that we carry as followers of Jesus. And so today, the title of my message is His Authority is Your Authority. And I want to talk to you about authority today because we see the authority of Jesus in this passage. So let's read Mark chapter 1. As I said earlier, we're going verse by verse through the book of Mark. And here we are coming to verse 21. And I'm going to read through verse 28. It says this, And they went into Capernaum, and immediately on the Sabbath he entered the synagogue, and he was teaching. And they were astonished at his teaching, for he taught them as one who had authority, not as the scribes. And immediately there was in their synagogue a man with an unclean spirit, and he cried out, What have you to do with us, Jesus of Nazareth? Have you come to destroy us? I know who you are, the Holy One of God. But Jesus rebuked him, saying, Be silent and come out of him. And the unclean spirit convulsing him and crying out with a loud voice came out of him. And they were all amazed, so that they questioned among themselves, saying, What is this? A new teaching with authority. He commands even the unclean spirits, and they obey him. And at once his fame spread everywhere throughout all the surrounding region of Galilee. So listen, I want to talk to you today about the authority of Jesus. Here's what we see, though, first. In, in 2 Corinthians 11, we see that, ain't, that, that Satan's demons, the demons actually mask themselves, parade themselves as angels of light. And so I think we need to acknowledge uh, that often there are people being influenced by the enemy and they don't even know the enemy is influencing them. They think that, oh, it's just, it's, it's something positive. It's something encouraging. But this is how he operates. The deception of the enemy and the deception of his demons, the deception of Satan, is pervasive in our culture. I think that uh, the enemy is attacking people physically, attacking people spiritually, attacking people emotionally. And uh, I've heard that a lot of people say like, oh, well, you know, he doesn't have that much Im impact on people's lives, especially physically, Caleb. I mean, come on, we're, we're, we're about science today. And, you know, I think there's a physical reason behind every, or a scientific reason behind every physical issue that a person has. But I want to take you to the Gospels to, for us to acknowledge that, no, the enemy, his, his demon, Satan, can have a physical impact on us as human beings. We see in Matthew 9 that a man has an inability to speak because of demonic oppression. In Luke, or Matthew 12, we see a man is blind because of demonic oppression or attack. We see in Luke 13, a man has a disability. He's unable to walk because of the enemy, because of Satan, because of his attacks. We see in Mark 5 that an individual is cutting himself. There's self-harm happening, happening because of demonic oppression. In Matthew 17, there's epilepsy taking place in a, in a young girl because of demonic activity and attack. In Luke 8, there's mental problems and insanity on a man because of demonic oppression. In Mark 9, there's a suicidal mania upon this person because of demonic oppression. In Revelation 9, we see actual murder because of the attacks of the enemy. So I, I wanted to, to bring these up for you to understand that, look, the enemy, he has power. And he can influence people, especially when they don't have the presence and the power of God on them and in them. And we see this over and over in the Gospels. 
And so I think we err, again, we err in today's culture to say, oh, well, every physical issue that a person has is because of some scientific reason and not acknowledging that there may be a spiritual reason to it. I, you know, we pastor a church, I pastor a church in downtown Sacramento. Let me tell you, as I have dealt with a lot of homeless, um, a lot of transient individuals in downtown Sacramento, they come into our church every single week. And, uh, and we try to, you know, bless them and, and be kind to them and, uh, and honor them. And we allow them to come in and we give them food and um, we, we allow them to sit in service as long as they're not disruptive. But let me tell you, as I've had multiple encounters with, with a lot of the homeless population and much of the issue with the homeless transient population is mental health. That's probably the biggest issue. But what I've seen is, and our culture has even talked about it, this issue of mental health, and we're not addressing it. But what I've seen as I've dealt with and worked with and spent time with a lot of these transient homeless people who have mental health issues, a lot of it is demonic in nature. Like there is demonic oppression, demonic attacks, even demonic possession on some of these individuals. So their mental instability actually is connected to them opening themselves up to the demonic and, and, and demons and, and the spiritual side of our world that we often ignore. And so I think it would be, we err to say that never, and, and I would say the norm is that, yeah, there's a scientific reason for someone's physical issues. But to say that it's never because of a spiritual attack or demonic attack, I think is incorrect. And we see in the gospels over and over that this is exactly what's happening to these people and these individuals. So, Mark, in Mark, Mark uses the term demon and unclean spirit interchangeably. And the Greek word for that is dihem, I always mess this up, dihemometamai, all right, dihemometamai, I, I, I was close, okay. Um, he uses this, this word um, for demonic oppression. And so you'll see in the Gospel of Mark as we read through it that demon, unclean spirit, is used interchangeably. So this passage we just read in Mark 1, 21 through 28, he actually uses the term unclean spirit. But these are one in, one in and in the same. Uh, this idea of demonic activity, uh, demon oppression, or spirit, unclean spirit, and, and Mark uses these inter interchangeably. So what I want to talk to you about, like I said, is the authority of Jesus, because his authority is your authority. So we need to acknowledge, like, what authority did Jesus have? And so first we see in this passage, that Jesus had the authority of his teaching and preaching. I'm talking about the authority of his word, his words. There was authority, there was power. You know, it's interesting that in, uh, in the other gospel accounts, we see that the first miracle Jesus performs is he turns water to wine. And if you pay attention and you were paying attention to this, this is actually the first miracle recorded in the gospel of Mark. Now the gospel of Mark, as I talked about a few weeks ago, is the account from Peter. So Peter is recounting what he saw in Jesus' life, in Jesus' ministry, and uh, Mark is writing it down. And so we see in, in the other Gospels where, yeah, water to wine, first miracle. This was the very beginning of Jesus' ministry. But here, the first miracle that's, that's written down is this releasing, this um, casting out of this unclean spirit by Jesus. Now, we know from timelines and looking at the other Gospels, that this was actually a year into Jesus' ministry. So I think it's interesting to say, why would Mark and Peter himself state this and want this as the first miracle we see in his gospel account when it's already a year into his ministry? 
and when there were other miracles that Jesus had done up to this point, I think he wanted us to see this first because this is a significant moment. And it's a significant miracle that impacted Peter so much that he was like, man, I want that to be the first miracle that I tell about. The first miracle that, that they'll read about in my account of Jesus' life. And so this is a significant miracle that we get to learn about here today. And uh, as we look at this, I, I wanted to just give us a little background because it says they went into Capernaum and uh, Capernaum was a city of about 10,000 people. It was a port city and I, I think we're going to throw a, a little map up right now, a little image of the Sea of Galilee. And so you can see Capernaum up at the top of the Sea of Galilee. And uh, Jesus was from Nazareth, a town of 100 people. And we know from, from the Gospels that Jesus goes back to Nazareth and the other Gospels. And the people reject him. They're like, hey, you're the, we know who you are. You grew up here. Uh, you're the son of a carpenter. And Jesus actually performs no miracles in Nazareth because the people had no faith. They didn't believe in him. And we know that uh, often a prophet is without honor in his hometown. And so Jesus actually goes to Capernaum. And based on historical records, based on the Gospels, we can actually see that Capernaum was where Jesus kind of based his ministry out of. So this was most likely where Jesus uh, spent most of his time, um, you know, slept and, and, and relaxed and lived the mo most of the time. And what most people believe is he actually lived with Peter and his family. And we know this because Peter was a fisherman and Jesus actually finds him and calls him in Capernaum. Obviously, it's a port city. It's a large city. Peter was making a great living as a fisherman. His family, he comes from a line of fishermen. And so they were an upper middle class family. And so I wanted to acknowledge that because I think often people think, oh, Jesus called Peter and it was no big deal. I mean, he left fishing. Who wouldn't want to leave fishing? No, this was a lucrative job that Peter had. But most likely, Jesus was living with Peter's family in between traveling from town to town. And Capernaum was a port city. It was a key city. And it was where Jesus kind of based his ministry out of. I just wanted you to understand that from a background perspective. But we see that the people are astonished by Jesus' teaching. That's the first thing that happens. So Jesus comes in to the synagogue in Capernaum and he begins to teach. And it says the people are astonished. And I want you to understand that, that in this day, there were synagogues and usually multiple synagogues in towns, especially towns as big as Capernaum. There were probably a few different synagogues in Capernaum, given the size, given that it was 10,000 people. Smaller towns would have only had one synagogue, but this one probably had a few. Often these synagogues didn't have a rabbi or a, what we would call a pastor that, that lived there and dwelt there and led there. And so what would happen is rabbis would travel from city to city, synagogue to synagogue, and when they came to a synagogue, the, they would let the people know, and this rabbi would teach. And he would teach from the Torah or the law. And he would teach, you know, on what the law meant. Now here is, here's what you need to know about rabbis and what you need to know about Judaism, what you need to know about the teaching of the law in this day is they believed that there were multiple interpretations of every scripture, every verse from the law. So there could be seven, eight, ten different interpretations, and they kind of all were correct. There wasn't one absolute truth. They could be seen in different ways. And so usually what a rabbi would do is he would come into a synagogue, and he would begin to teach, and he'd say, you've heard Rabbi so-and-so have said this, and uh, this teacher said this, and what they do is they would quote all these different rabbis, and they'd, they'd quote seven, eight, nine, ten people on one verse, and they'd say, 
you know, and here's what I think, and it's probably a conglomeration of all of that. And that's how they typically taught. And so the people would leave and they would learn things, but they often would leave going, okay, so I don't really know what the truth is. I heard all these different perspectives, and rabbis were known for quoting other rabbis and other teachers. But what Jesus does is he comes in, and here's how Jesus taught. Jesus said, you've heard it said, but I say, this is it. This is the truth, right? This is what this means. And so when you have someone who's coming in teaching in such a different way where they had been given multiple interpretations and seven, eight versions of what a verse might mean, and then the, the rabbi typically would go, it could be a conglomeration of all of that. It's kind of a mix of all of that. I think maybe a little bit of this. They would leave a little confused. And yet Jesus comes in, he begins to teach, and he's like, you've heard it said this, here's what the truth is. And the people are astonished. They're in awe. In fact, some people have said that even given this translation of this word, astonished, that the people were almost alarmed. Like they were alarmed with the authority that Jesus taught with. They were alarmed that this guy, like he actually knows what this means. And I've heard there's multiple versions of what this means, but he's like, no, this is what it means, right? This is the greatest command. And, and so they're astonished. They're in awe. The preaching and teaching of Jesus came with authority. And I want to tell you, the Word of God has authority. And when you claim the Word of God, when you get the Word of God in your heart, uh, as someone, Psalm 119 tells us, it helps us to not sin against God, but it also helps us to walk in the authority of God. And so I think it's, it's consistent and it's significant for us to recognize that the preaching and the teaching of Jesus came with authority. He doesn't quote anyone else. He quotes himself. He says, this is what it means. And the people recognize that something is different. They actually recognize that a shift has taken place. That, that this man is a prophet. And uh, I think it's it's a powerful thing for us to acknowledge and to accept that the authority in which Jesus teaches and, and, and preach, we now can speak and walk in that same authority. That the words we carry are the words of Jesus and they carry power, they carry authority. They stop the enemy in his, tra in his tracks. And I think that it's, it's so important for us also to see what happens here and it's that the people didn't know who Jesus was. Like, they, they'd heard about him. There, there was whispers going out throughout, you know, Israel. They heard about this man who was casting out demons, who was healing people, who was turning water to wine. But they still didn't know who he was. They're like, maybe he's a prophet. Maybe he's Elijah reincarnated. Like, they didn't know. But I think it's powerful when we look at this verse. And it says in verse number 24, the demon says, have you come to destroy us? I know who you are, the Holy One of God. And I wanted us to hear this because the people didn't know who God was, but the demon did. And so I want you to know and to understand, to walk in the authority of the Word of God and the words of Jesus, knowing that the enemy knows who Jesus is. The enemy knows the power that Jesus carries. And so when you walk and you teach and you speak with that same spirit, that same power, that same authority, you can stop the enemy dead in his tracks because he knows where that word is coming from. And so the first thing we need to see here is the authority of his teaching, the authority of Jesus' teaching and preaching, which you now walk 
in that same authority. Your words, your teaching, right? When you share with people, it's the word of God, it's the power of God, it's the authority of Jesus, and you can carry that with you. The second thing we see from the authority of Jesus is the authority of his presence. Now, I, I just read it in verse 24 when it said, have you come to destroy us? And I think that as we look at this passage, the demon is actually threatening the man. And what I mean is, he, he's saying, look, if you try to get me out of here, I'm going to kill this guy. Like, if you try to cast me out of this individual, have you come to destroy us, being us, the demons, and this man? You try to destroy us, like, take me out, we're, we're gonna I'm going to take him out. And so this was a threat in some ways against this man and against uh, what, what was happening in his body. And yet Jesus isn't worried about that. He's not threatened by that. I want to read Mark 3.11. I'm just going to jump ahead and we'll get here in a few months. But Mark 3.11 says this, And whenever the unclean spirit saw him, they fell down before him and cried out, You are the Son of God. You see, the demons recognize who God is. They fall down in the presence of our God. In fact, Scripture tells us that even the demons know who Jesus is and they shudder, right? And so I want you to hear me in this because, look, the presence of God now lives inside of us. The presence of Jesus now lives inside of us. And I believe that the enemy, he stops in his tracks when we are in, in a place. He falls down on his face when we walk into a room with that same presence of God. And so this should give you faith and not fear to say, I don't have to worry about the enemy. I don't have to worry about his demons. I don't have to worry about Satan. Why? Because the presence of God is in me. And they fall on their face in the presence of my Savior. And I have that presence in me. Mark 5 Again, jumping a little further ahead, Mark 5, 6, and 7 says, And when he saw Jesus from afar, he ran and fell down before him. And crying out with a loud voice, he said, What have you to do with me, Jesus, Son of the Most High God? I adjure you by God, do not torment me. Listen, the demons know who Jesus is and they shudder. And now Jesus lives in you. And I think too many of us uh, who maybe are more aware of spiritual things, the spiritual world, the spiritual battles, Sometimes we walk around afraid. We walk around in fear. We walk around in timidity. We walk around not thinking we have power. And I want to tell, tell you the presence of God, the power of God, his presence is in you. So you walk in that same power. You don't walk up in, into a room with a, where, where there's a, an evil presence or a, a, a demon-possessed person in fear. No, you walk in faith. James 3.19 says even the demons believe and shudder. You see, the demons, they know what's coming for them. They know who wins. They know that when Jesus shows up, when the Messiah shows up, that, that it's over for them. So listen, uh, when we first started our church, I'm talking about, man, five and a half years ago, it was in our first few months as a church, uh, I, I hadn't encountered a ton of spiritual battles, but I knew right away we were in downtown Sacramento. I believe that for a long time, this and still in a lot of ways, like this is the enemy's territory. He has a grip on a lot of people down here. There's, there's a lot of spiritual darkness. I remember feeling the heaviness in downtown when we came to downtown Sacramento and planted this church. Um, I'd never dealt with anxiety or fear, but planting this church for the first time in my life, like I was, 
dealing with anxiety. I actually had an anxiety attack. I've never had one since, and I'd never had one up to that point. But one day, not long before we were about to launch, I had an anxiety attack. Um, I, like, my brain stopped working. I couldn't think. I couldn't barely talk. Um, I was having a hard time breathing. And I think it was all related to, to the, the spiritual battles that were going on around us. But early on, about a month and a half into our church, um, one Sunday morning, some of our team came and got me because there was a guy in our prayer room. They had brought him in after service, and he was manifesting, demonic activity manifesting. So I go in there. It's after our last service, and man, we, we went in just praying. And, uh, you know, there was a huge group of us, and we're praying. We're casting out demons in Jesus' name. We're walking by faith. And, I mean, this guy was writhing on the ground, guttural noises, you know, voices coming out of him. And honestly, I wasn't ready for it. I wasn't expecting it. I mean, I knew there was a spiritual battle happening downtown, but it was at a level that I hadn't experienced in like suburban churches that I'd been in for much of my life. And so, man, I realized very quickly, we need to be prayed up. I remember when, you know, the, the disciples tried to cast out a demon and the demon beats them up and they run off. And they go to Jesus, like, how come we couldn't do it? He said, this only comes about by prayer and fasting. Well, after praying for this guy for about an hour, um, there was a breaking, and we felt like a spirit had left him, and he was more coherent, and he was talking to us, and he felt like he was better, like something had been released. And so we blessed him, prayed for him, sent him home. But then he called my wife and I the next day and said, look, I feel like I'm still oppressed. I feel like I still have something on me. And so we went over to his house, my wife and I and another friend of ours, uh, the next day. And the second I walked into his house, I knew what was wrong. And uh, I looked around the room, around the apartment, and, you know, I saw some evil, dark paintings on the wall, a couple different paintings that they had hung. I saw Dreamcatcher hung. I saw they had like this stone that was like a, a spirit stone, a few of those lying around that were supposed to bring like positive energy. And there was all this spiritual memorabilia, these spiritual artifacts, sp spiritual things. I don't know if you call it memorabilia, spiritual things um, in their home. And I said, look, first of all, we got to get all this out of here. And so I was like, I need your permission to take all these things out of your house and to throw them away, to trash them. And he gave me permission, so I took them out. And immediately as we took them out, and we, I threw them in my trunk. I didn't leave them in my trunk for long, but I threw them in the trunk for that day. Um, it was like I felt something lift. Like the darkness in the, in the room, in the apartment was, was lifted. But then we get to pray over him. And let me tell you, the second we started praying over him in Jesus' name, again, he started manifesting. See, he had multiple demons in him. And I know some of you are like, I don't know how to feel about this, Caleb. I don't, I don't know if I can... Uh, ascribed to is this for real are you joking like no this is real and we spent I would say almost two hours praying I mean I'm on the ground with him and a few others praying casting out demons and, and if you know anything about it, like it's a physical and spiritual thing I mean I was spent at the end I was sweating I'm drenched but we watched as one by one like demon after demon begin to came out of him I don't know how many he totally total had I would say at least three or four finally there was something, that last one came out, and there was a breaking. And literally, the color of his skin changed, his countenance changed, he stood up, uh, he was coherent, he was talking to us, 
And uh, man, you know what's so cool is that we still know them, we're still in contact with them, and they're plugged into another church in Sacramento. And him and his wife and his kids are serving Jesus. They love Jesus. There was a change that took place. There was a releasing. And I tell you that to let you know, like, this is real. And I've had multiple experiences like that. That's just one of, of several. But this spiritual attack is real. We can open ourselves up to it in this world. And so I would challenge you right now, because I think some of you are like, well, I, I mean, I, I don't have stuff in my house, but man, what are you watching? You know, I think much of our entertainment today, you think about horror movies and uh, even some of these vampire movies and uh, a, a lot of the things that we're watching, that we're, we're taking in, a lot of the occult spiritual shows. I just saw a new occult show on Netflix and we're taking this in and I'm telling you, we're opening ourselves up to spiritual attacks. We're opening ourselves up to demonic influence. Now here's why we know Jesus and we have him in us, like the enemy can't get in us, right? The devil can't get a hold of us. Demons are not going not gonna to take over us. But we can open ourselves up to being oppressed, uh, to being influenced in a negative way. And so I want to caution you, just like, what are you watching? What are you taking in? Are those things, like the Bible talks about, everything may be per permissible, but is everything beneficial? And are you opening yourselves up to things that you don't need to be opening yourself up to in this world? And so today, listen, the authority of Jesus' presence is something you carry. You walk into rooms, you walk into a, a meeting with someone, you walk into a, a situation like I experienced with a dude who literally is demonically possessed, oppressed, and you carry the presence of Jesus, the demons fall at your feet, the enemy stops in his tracks, you have nothing to be afraid of, you can walk in that authority. Satan and his demons are real, but I think that the contemporary church has sanitized the Bible, sanitized these stories, we avoided this topic. In fact, we just say, oh, it's just the cute little things that happen on Halloween, like little demons and Satan and horns, not a big deal. Listen, the Bible warns us about this. The Bible warns us that demonic oppression is real, demonic activity is real, um, influence on people is real. We need to be aware of it, we need to be mindful of it, but we also need to not make too much of it. So I said it at the beginning, look, we err by making too much of the power that Satan has, his demons have, but we also err by making too little of it. And so we need to be aware of it, we need to acknowledge it, the Bible tells us about it, it talks about it, it challenges us in it, and we need to know we're in a battle, and we got a battle. But we don't walk in this battle in fear, or timidity. We walk in this battle in faith and power and authority. Why? Because we have the presence of Jesus, the Jesus that devils and demons shudder at, the Jesus that devils and demons fall on their face at. We have him in us so we can walk in that same power. The spirit world, uh, spiritual battle is very much real. But let me tell you, Jesus is very real. The authority of Jesus is very real. So you don't have to be afraid. You don't have to worry. You don't walk, have to walk in timidity. I want to close with Mark 3, 14 and 15. It says this. And he appointed 12, whom he also named apostles, so that they might be with him, and he might send them out to preach, and have authority to cast out demons. I wanted you to, to hear that and to see that, because I wanted you to know, 
look, you have an enemy, but you also have authority. His authority is your authority. His authority is my authority. We got an enemy, but we got authority. And that authority is the authority that overcomes and, and, and dominates and destroys any power that the enemy has. So I want to encourage you today. Look, I know some of you are going, man, I didn't even know this was happening around me. I didn't even, how, how do I, what are my next steps in this? Look, this is your next step. Just be aware. Guard your eyes, guard your heart, guard what you're taking in. And then secondly is to be praying. Say, God, give me spiritual eyes. Let me know when I need to pray. When you walk into a dark room and there's, a dark, there's something dark about that place, you need to be interceding and praying that God would break the bondage of that place, of that room, over that person. Why? Because God's given you authority. He's given you power. And so today I want us as the church, I want us to walk in greater authority than ever before. Why? Because the demons, they will fall on their face in the presence of our Savior. And that presence lives in us. So my encouragement to you today, church, is that you would walk out of this place, walk out of listening to this message on YouTube, uh, listen to this message on a podcast, and say, man, the enemy is real, but the authority that I have is even realer, right? The enemy has some power, but the power that I have through my Savior, Jesus, is even greater. So let's walk in that authority, let's walk in that power, and let's carry that presence with us wherever we go. God bless you guys. Let me just say a prayer over us as we go. Jesus, thank you so much. Thank you that you are a God of power. You're a God of authority. Your authority is our authority. I pray that we would walk into spaces and places, not in fear, timidity, but in power. Lord, that we wouldn't walk with a spirit of fear, but one of power, love, and a sound mind. So Jesus, I pray that anyone listening to this message that maybe needs to, to surrender their heart and their life to you, before anything else, that right now they would pray this prayer. And if you're listening, pray this with me. Say, Jesus, forgive me of my sins. Change me from the inside out. I don't want to live the same. I want to live like you. I want to live for you. Thank you, Jesus, for dying on that cross for me so that I could be set free. In your name we pray. And everybody said, amen, amen. God bless you guys. Thanks for listening today. Man, if you uh, decide to receive Jesus today, we're so excited. And... Uh, now that you've said that prayer, I encourage you to get plugged into a church. Uh, you can hit us up online. We'd love to have you get plugged in here at Project Church if you're, if you're in Sacramento. If not, God bless you guys. We'll be praying for you. Have a great day.